Welcome. I'm Paul Bishop, your host for this installment of Six-Gun Justice Conversations. These are bonus downloads where my co-host Richard Prosh or I get to hang around the virtual Six-Gun Justice podcast water cooler, talking with friends and fellow writers who are also fans of the Western genre. With me today is Rob Word, a man who has worked tirelessly to both honor and preserve the heritage of classic Western movies and TV shows, but also to promote the Western genre as an ongoing, vibrant, and relevant part of our American culture. Since 2014, he has written, produced, directed, and hosted his weekly YouTube Western celebrity interview series, A Word on Westerns, filmed at the Autry Museum in Los Angeles. He has written and produced live events such as Memories of Lonesome Dove featuring Robert Duvall and a memorial tribute to Clayton Moore, as well as writing and producing numerous other top-rated Western movies, television series, and documentaries for CBS, A&E, PBS, and other network and cable channels. Hello, my friend. Welcome to the show. Glad I'm here. What is it about the Western genre that binds you so closely to it? You know, I've thought about that a lot, Paul, and I think it's a lot to do with where you grow up, how you're influenced as a small child. We were very lucky. I'm one of four kids. My dad was an adventurer. Every summer, he would hook up an Airstream trailer with a 1949 Ford, no air conditioning, two doors, an AM radio, and we would head west from Florida because it was always so hot in the summer, and we would go for six weeks and just explore. And he and mom wanted to take us kids to every national park in North America. In the 50s, westerns were what was on television. I love the genre. I love the look. I love the characters. A man says what he's going to do, and he does it, and he's honorable. He tells the truth, and he helps his fellow man, and he looks cool riding a horse. We would watch movies because back then you'd go as a family. This is before television. Yes, I'm that old. So watching a film like Bend of the River, the Jimmy Stewart, Anthony Mann film that was shot up at Bend, Oregon, my dad would say, that's where we're going to go this summer. And so we would head there or we would go to Silverton where Night Passage with Jimmy Stewart and Audie Murphy. You look at Shane and, oh, the Grand Tetons. Well, that looks great. Let's go there. So It was wonderful. And back then, dad did all the driving and mom would read us the classics from the front seat. There were three of us initially, and my little brother came 10 years later. So mom read the classics to us as we were driving because you couldn't pick up a signal on a radio station because it was so desolate where we were driving. And this was with two lane highways and there weren't trailer parks like there are today. So we wouldn't hear any radio shows or music or anything until you could see the tower of whatever local station would be in Texas or wherever we were driving through. You'd see the tower and say, oh, let's turn on the radio and we'd pick up a little something. It was fun. We would stop. Mom would make lunch in the trailer in the kitchen, hamburgers or whatever. Dad would stretch his legs and relax, and they would say to us, go have an adventure, go play. And you can't do that anymore. We'd come back, falling in a river that was rushing by, soaking wet and lucky to be alive, I guess. And all these different kid adventures we really were fortunate to have. 
I just lost my mom a couple months ago. She would have been 98 years old in three weeks when she passed. After my dad died of cancer, which was in 89, she kept us all together. We're spread out all over the place. And once a year, we'd all get together for some adventure that mom would organize. I'm still close with my two sisters and brother and their family. It's been really good. Now that we're all trapped at home here doing shows like yours, talking about our experiences because we can't go anywhere and have new experiences. We have to vicariously live through other people, just like we vicariously lived through the great Western movies that we grew up watching and the wonderful TV shows. With the proliferation of all of these different channels, a lot of them have discovered that there is a constant audience for Westerns. Now, that audience may be 55 years and older, but they are solid and they are fans and they remember and treasure these Western memories. It's interesting to me that the Western audience is largely silent. It's a huge audience out there. But unlike other fandoms, it's hard to find them. Western novels are selling really well, and it can't be all old guys buying them. There has to be enough younger people discovering them to keep those sales up and to keep these new Westerns being published. How do you reach out to an audience like that? You don't do a show like mine to try to make money or anything like that. I did it because we were not doing the Golden Boot Awards anymore. That had ended after 25 glorious years, but it sort of faded. And Bo Hopkins, a terrific actor and a good friend, said, along with everybody else, when's it coming back? Let's get together. And so, (laughs) all right, well, let's have a lunch. And so I like to make things happen, organize things. So I sent out an invitation to a group of people, and we met for lunch at the Sportsman's Lodge, when it was a nice place to go to. And Bo was there and Jimmy Gammon and Tom Bauer and Bruce Boxleitner and Marty Cove and, you know, the regular crowd of people that we hang out with. And we had a great time. And it lasted for like three hours and just laughs and fun. And then it took us another three hours to get our bill. We said, we want individual bills. We said, I don't know. We can't do that. So we said, this was a lot of fun, but I picked another place and I ended up moving it to the Saddle Ranch Chop House, which is on Sunset Boulevard. And they loved having us there. And so we ended up doing this for nine years, every other Wednesday. We're an old crowd, but everybody telling great stories and it was noisy there and they've got the mechanical bull and everybody was invited. And so we would have anywhere from eight people show up to 30 or 40 people and they just keep lining the tables up and having a great time. Everybody got to wear their cowboy boots and hats and stuff. And we'd go horseback riding when we could with some of the guys. But the stories were so good that we wanted to record them. And it was an impossible situation there. But then when some people who were our lunch pals died, like Hal Needham or Bob Culp, Ted Post, a wonderful man and a terrific director, he did Hang Him High and a few Rawhides and the third Dirty Harry movie. These guys were dying. So I went to the Autry Museum and said, you know, I'm having this lunch every other week. And a lot of the guys live way far out in the valley, and we're driving two hours or more to come to the lunch. 
And well, we were having a lot of fun, so I guess it was okay. But I sure didn't want to do it. I mean, the Saddle Shop House was three minutes from my house in the Hollywood Hills. So to me, that was perfect. But I went to the Autry and I said, can we have a cowboy lunch here? I said, and I'd like to also set up and maybe record conversations on what we're going to be doing. I'll pick a theme and we'll come the third Wednesday of each month and we'll have lunch and then we'll have a conversation. Everybody's welcome. But I picked themes as if I were pitching a TV series. And we did a couple of practice runs in the fall. And then in January, I said, all right, we're going to shoot this. I think it'll be okay. January, my theme is Lonesome Dove. And here's a list of the people who I'm going to invite as guests. February will be the TV series, How the West Was Won. And here are the people associated with that. The next month will be Leading Ladies. The next month will be The Wild Bunch. So that the Autry had a theme to promote in their newsletter and online. And I said, but you can't list who the guests are. Like if I'm inviting Bobby Duvall for The Lonesome Dove and he doesn't show up, he's working or whatever, I don't want anybody disappointed. So they would do the theme and I would write a little synopsis and each month was a different theme and I'd have three or four guests. It, like with Lonesome Dove, I had Suzanne DePass who found the book Lonesome Dove when it was still in galleys. She tells a wonderful story about it. She talked for 15 minutes. I had Barry Corbin, who was in it, and told hysterical stories. Billy Burton, the stunt coordinator, about how he got the gig and what was involved in shooting it. And also Luster Bayless, the Emmy-winning costume designer who had supplied costumes and hats for Sam Elliott and the Sackets and John Wayne, all these things. He is the one who came up with the famous Gus hat Bobby wore in Lonesome Dove. He brought hats and stuff, and it was a lot of fun. I would do 15 minutes approximately with each person, but I decided to put it online on YouTube. And you're talking about how do I promote? How do I grow it? Well, I'm so busy doing this and booking guests, people involved in doing this. My friend Mike Clark, who used to watch me when he was in school, when I was hosting movies back in Florida and Tampa, had moved out here and was working for Columbia, later Sony. And we'd become really good friends. He had helped when I was putting together video tributes for the Golden Boot for our different honorees. And so he and I had done other things together and he had a camera. And so I said, okay, we're partners. We're going to do this together. Without Mike, it wouldn't have happened. Mike would shoot it. And I did these interviews. It's a one or two man show. There's not a big staff. And these were short. And my son, who was a sophomore in high school, but really smart, especially when it comes to technology, said, Dad, it's for the internet. People watch these on their iPhone. They should only be about three minutes, maybe four minutes long. I said, okay. So I would take the interview, let's say with Barry Corbin, and that would become two or maybe three segments. And I would give them each titles, and then we would post them on YouTube. We figured out that by doing it like a TV show with a regular time period on a weekly basis, so it goes up every Sunday morning at 6 a.m. our time, 9 a.m. back east, there's a big spike in viewership. And people tune in like it's their favorite show. But once they're up, of course, and you know this, Paul, once they're up, they're up forever. And people keep looking at the older ones as they discover you. They go back and pick up other episodes in the past because they're so enamored with the first ones. 
which is great. And the people are discovering films and performers. I say, well, I didn't know who this guy was. I saw his face so many times, and now I want to go out and see all those movies. And one of the lovely things about what you do is the fact that you don't just concentrate on the big stars. You talk to a lot of the people that have all the tech jobs and the other small parts in the film that become so important. You tell their stories, and that's where the fascination comes in a lot of the time. Well, thank you. Hopefully, I let them tell their story, and that's the key. People say, well, gosh, what makes you such a good interview? And I go, I'm a good listener. I love to hear these stories. I said, I want to know about them just like you. I'm just a fan who has happened to have been lucky in the business to, to do okay and do what I like, which is watch TV and movies my whole career. And <laughs> I'm still doing it. That's what I like. I watch these films. That's my research. And then I go in and I try to be very prepared because sometimes, like you're saying, some of these people, they're older, but they don't remember. And so I try to prod them with my love of the genre and also the knowledge that I have of the separate films that they've done. It's exciting for me. After a little while at the Autry, we were in the restaurant, remember? And they said, well, we're getting a lot of complaints. People can't get in because we would have lunch at like noon to one. And then at one o'clock, we'd set up and, and tape these interviews. Well, people would show up when the restaurant opened at 10 for breakfast or coffee, and they would not leave. They would have their table where they wanted to sit to watch the interviews. And so people would show up at even 11 or 11.30, and it was already getting pretty full. So the Autry set up a monitor outside in the shade so people could eat out there, and we did a live feed of the interview outside. But it still reached a point because they could only accommodate 100 people inside the restaurant where the Autry said, would you like to move into the theater? And I went, oh, boy, thank goodness. And so in the theater... It's a lot slicker, and it's nicer for the guest. It's nicer for the audience. Everybody has a good sight line. We've shifted the time. We tape at 11 a.m. We tape from 11 to 1, and then we go in and we have lunch afterwards. We shoot it with three or four cameras now, and the key to making it fun for the guest, this is not talking heads, as you know. This is an audience-driven live event. The audience is so much a part of the show. The laughter is infectious, and a lot of the past guests, they come, as you see, they sit in the audience. So we have celebrities in the house, just like I used to do at the Golden Boot Award. At the beginning of the night, just as people are sitting down at the table for dinner before the awards start, I would go through the room and say, look, over here, we've got Herb Jeffries, the bronze buckaroo, and he's right here. And, and over at this table, we've got Dale Evans. You'll see her a little bit later on. I would introduce everybody because they perhaps would not be on stage being honored or as a presenter that night, but they were in the house and it gave an excitement to the room because every year we did it until they passed, Gene Autry and Roy Rogers were there every year and they became close again toward the end of their lives only because of the, the Golden Boot Awards. And Pat Buttram is the man responsible for making this happen. He was the best master of ceremonies, just so very funny. He was special. We talked about him quite a bit on our latest episode on Sidekicks. With the pandemic, you've been telling me that things have been busier than ever for you. In fact, you've even started doing two shows a week now. How is that working? It's working is right. <laughs> you know, just to do the weekly A Word on Westerns every Sunday, it's 25 to 35 hours a week. 
People don't realize that who are not in the business, but there's a lot of production that goes into it. I mean, just to do the audio sweetening and the color correction alone is two to three hours. Thankfully, my son does that. He makes it look good. I had done interviews over the years back in Florida. I wish I had all of those programs. Some were just audio tape, some were videotape programs. I used to host movies back in the 70s, and then people came and said, would you like to host an interview, a syndicated talk show? And I said, sure. But it was a little insert program, two and a half minutes long. But guests would come through Orlando or Tampa, and I would tape five two-and-a-half-minute segments, and they would run Monday through Friday on a local news station. This is years before Entertainment Tonight, so that a local station could have an announcer say, And now here's our entertainment editor, Rob Ward, to talk with today's guest, Frankie Lane, or whoever it might be. I don't have a lot of those, but I have found a Frankie Lane one that I edited together into one. It's up on a word on Westerns. And this new series that we're talking about is on Wednesday. Just like we have AWOW for Sundays, we now have on Wednesdays, WOW, way back on Wednesdays. And I took the Steve Allen one that I found five segments of his, and edited that together. So we put up there as WOW on Wednesday with Steve Allen. And I'm so happy I found it. The quality's not great, but people seem to like it. I'm also putting up some TV shows, like with LQ Jones, whose birthday is actually today. I just hung up with him before I got on with you. He turned 93 today. And on our Way Back on Wednesday today, we posted an episode of one of his very first roles. And he's playing a bad guy, of course. It's from Annie Oakley. And my son says, I wouldn't have recognized him if you hadn't shown him to me. But he's in this and he's terrific. I had just a short excerpt of one of our other interviews with him that I stuck in just before we started the episode. But we've restored the video to HD restoration. I introduce it, give people a little background, and then we show it. I'm hoping to find enough of the old stardom interviews that I actually did, like with Steve Allen, to run one of those a month on a Wednesday. And the others will be classic shows I grew up liking, and hopefully other people will enjoy watching them too. You are doing a great service to the Western genre. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me today and wish you the best of luck with all things going on with the Word on Westerns and Way Back Westerns. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Paul. Good luck on your show, too. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the Six Gun Justice website at www.sixgunjustice.com for information on prior Six Gun Justice conversations, Six Gun Justice speed listens, and full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, along with regularly updated book reviews, articles, and interviews covering all aspects of the Western genre. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or contact us by email at sixgunjusticewesterns at gmail.com. Until next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and make sure your mask always stays up. Adios. We're out of here. Let's ride.